0: Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bible or access to Scripture, I'd like for you to turn with me first to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is the In Matthew, the third chapter, the ending chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'd like to read verse 1. I'll read some others. But verse 1, as uh, maybe we can declare this, the most misinterpreted, misused verse possibly in the Bible. Okay? Okay? Chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Now, what I want to look at this morning, I'm going to call distinctions in judgment. We are always told this verse don't we can't judge don't judge judge not lest you be judged 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 judged. okay um i won't tell that story (laughs) i think that there are maybe more but there are at least four kinds of judgment or four uses for judgment. And the first one we will look at is verse one of seven. This verse is a, a judgment that despises this is what Jesus meant he did not mean form an opinion evaluate he didn't mean that you take no notice whatsoever of persons acts words and so forth doesn't mean that at all it's always used that way, today's world. But he literally means, and it's a bit, just this particular verse, it's a bit enlarged and illuminated in Luke 6. Luke 6 is Luke's shortened version of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew has the most extensive, five, six, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Luke has it contained within his sixth chapter. There, it says, don't condemn or you'll be condemned. Don't be harsh or you will be treated harshly. Forgive or it says pardon or let go and it will be let go, pardoned for you. That is a brighter light of what Jesus meant here. The judging he's talking about here is, first of all, it comes from arrogance, it comes from a sense of superiority, it also comes from a sense of blindness to our own faults and flaws. And it is harsh, cruel, cutting, rash, dismissive of people. It's the kind of judgment that God says, then if you engage in that, unfortunately, you'll come into the same thing. Not only from other people. But ultimately, from God, you judge others harshly, cruelly, no no remedy for them. Get rid of them. He said, That's the way I'll treat you. When judgment is not like that, then it escapes, it's not covered by this verse. Most people... Now, the world who hates and cuts and slashes and is cruel and savage, they don't care about this verse. They don't go around quoting that verse at all. Who gets hung up on it and who misuses it? Christians. And it's often defined through the lens of Of a fake and false compassion. Well, we're to be compassionate. Yeah. But we are to, as Proverbs says, buy the truth and sell it not. Buy the truth, don't sell it. For any price, you can't sell the truth. So, there is a judgment that despises. We are obviously to never engage in that. Or, if we habitually engage in that, Jesus warned us, you've just picked the kind of judgment you're going to receive. So don't do that. Second. There is a judgment that discerns. That's the kind of judgment that, here's here's the irony, in chapter 7 verse 1, everyone quotes that. Judge not, lest you be judged. In the same chapter, by the same fairly authoritative speaker, Jesus, He gives us a judgment that discerns, and he commands it of us. And we find it in the 15th verse. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. (gasps) Oh! I think that sounds to me like judgment. That sounds like judging. Yeah. Beware of false prophets. They're phony. They have on sheep's clothing. They dress up like Christians. But inside they are ravenous wolves. Then he says this in the next verse you will know them by their fruits. That's judging. That's evaluating. That's forming an opinion. That's weighing what you see. Now, I need to say this. We all have to remember that our judgment is not perfect. Our perception is not perfect. And so, we still have to be careful. But here... He says, you'll know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. There's also a notion within a lot of Christians about this judging matter that also tries to distinguish between Outward acts and inward condition. It's kind of like a, it's the theological version of Boys Town. Anybody remember the old black and white movie um, with, who was Spencer Tracy? Boys Town, which is a real place in Nebraska. Home for wayward boys, Catholic and that's where, you know, the, they have the statue of the boy carrying, his, uh, carrying another boy, and it's in that movie. He, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. We've got, we've got some lasting, um, pathetic rock songs about it. But anyway, um, it's like a theological version of, there's, an, uh, there's another thing that came out of that movie and was a lo- uh, slogan there. There's no such thing as a bad boy yes there is yes there is and Jesus is our authority here he clearly refused to separate bad acts from badness he wouldn't do that he said bad trees produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Just as a good tree can't produce bad fruit. God always weds being with doing. We can't separate it though we do. Everybody is a good boy nowadays. Everyone is fine. No. Unfortunately we're not. Bad deeds, acts, words, habits exhibit badness in here. So there's a judgment that discerns. We know by their fruits. What is being discerned? Truth from error. Especially for the believer, we're to be on guard. To recognize the genuine from the phony. And Jesus introduced here, the whole discussion was about, he said, beware of what? False prophets, false preaching, false teaching, books that peddle false biblical notions were inundated with it we today in so much of American at least church world everything is about what will attract people what will not offend them what will make them feel good and jazz them up make them feel wonderful about themselves It's been around a long time because Jesus was speaking of the false prophets clear back in the Old Testament. So it isn't a new thing. But every single preaching, teaching, book, whatever, I have to take it over against Scripture. It does this line up with the Bible. Does Jesus endorse this? Is this the same thing he taught? If it isn't, we dispense with it. We have to because it's false. That is a judgment that discerns, that is not fooled. We can be fooled. We have to be able to tell appearance from reality. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit to help us with that. God had had it with King Saul. He's done with him. He's the first king of Israel. He said, I've rejected him, and I'm taking his kingdom away from him. I'm going to give it to someone who is after my own heart, someone who's better. He told the great prophet Samuel, go to Bethlehem to the household of a man named Jesse, and among his sons, and he didn't tell him when he went there, which one, but he says, go there, and among his sons, I've got a king that I'm going to choose. And Jesse, the father, trembles when he finds out that Samuel's on the way. Samuel was a man of spiritual power, and they feared him. And he came and he said, well, you know what, what do you do? why are you here?" He said, "Well, I've come to have a sacrifice and so forth." And they did that. And then he told Jesse, he said, "Bring all your sons before me." And, and to some sense, I'm sure, he had to have mentioned to Jesse that the Lord it wants to select a king from among your sons. Because Jesse, the dad made a value judgment and he had the oldest six lined up to be quote interviewed as it were by Samuel David his youngest he didn't even have him come to the house he left him out with the sheep Well, there's no way in the world he because he's only a kid first of all And I don't know what else he thought, but he didn't even include him among those uh, that were going to be the group out of which Samuel was to choose. Well, the first guy, Eliab, he was the oldest son we know from Scripture. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was extremely handsome, good looking. He was out of Hollywood central casting for a king, just exactly what you think of when you think of a king. And Samuel, this Bible says, within his own heart said, surely this is God's choice. And God spoke to him. He said, don't look at his height or his looks because I've rejected him. Because he said, God looks on the heart. Man looks at the outside. We have to be discerning between appearance and reality. Again, the Bible's my standard. <clears throat> now, so there's a judgment we must engage in. This is not permission to be judging, this is not advice. It's an order, it's a command. When Jesus said, Beware of false prophets. You'll know them by their fruits. It's it's an imperative. It means you must do this. So this isn't just, okay, I'll let you judge here. He's saying, you better judge. You better have the kind of judgment that discerns between truth, error, falsehood, appearance, reality. There's a third kind of judgment. We find it over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I don't believe we'll read the whole uh, passage. It's not a long chapter. But let me just sum it up by reading a few of the initial verses. 1 Corinthians 5, 1. Paul's writing to them. He says, it's actually reported that there is immorality among you and immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, the pagans that someone has his father's wife. Now, in this case, it's a stepmother of this person. And so he's taken up, moved in, he and his stepmother. And Paul said, the pagans don't even go that far. And then he finds deep fault with them and rebukes them because he said, you, in verse 2, have become lifted up, arrogant. You've not mourned over this so that the one who's done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I on my part, though I'm absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as if I were present. Paul then moves on and tells them Take him out of church. Take his name off the roll. There is a judgment that not only discerns, there's a judgment that disciplines. This is speaking specifically of church discipline, which doesn't exist hardly anymore. But this is a clear indication. That we are to police ourselves. For a couple of reasons. One. Paul makes the argument. That a little leaven. He says a little yeast. Leavens the whole. Lump of dough. So it's for the protection. Of the body of Christ. The organized body of believers. In a local place. Because second. They carry Jesus' name. We carry Jesus' name. I don't know how often we think of it, but every place we go, the way we deal with people in the community, just in general, we're carrying Jesus' name and we're carrying High Plains Church name. We represent this body, of believers. I've told you before I don't have ten thousands of stories. So I have to repeat some. Um, <clears throat> but I was in Anderson, Indiana. And, and don't judge me on this. Since we're speaking about judgment. Um, well, I don't remember how old I was. I was very, very young. Um, and our kids were little. And I bought an old man's car then. We, didn't, we, we got a minivan later, so we fully fulfilled all that. I bought an Oldsmobile, okay? <clears throat> now, I had a Cutlass, which was, which was cool. But the kids came along, and, you know, it was a two-door, and you couldn't get in the back seat and get this car seat, all that stuff. So we bought a Delta 88. It has old man written all over it. I know it. So please don't judge me. It was a piece of junk, okay? I had it, I had it in, I had it in my possession the first six months I owned it for about six weeks. The rest of the time it was in the local GM shop. I ended up getting involved with the GM zone people who were out of Ohio on this car. Here wouldn't just wouldn't work, that wouldn't work, just constant stuff. And I would go in there, and I always dealt with, it just seemed almost unusual. They had a couple of service riders. I always ended up dealing with the same one. First few times I went in, then the more he got involved in the whole thing, then I intentionally, he took care of me. So always, I was going in there, talking to him, they didn't fix it. We got to get back to, you know. And I know it may be difficult to believe. <laughs> I was, I remained decent, okay, <laughs> through the whole time. And I never, the opportunity didn't come up. I just wasn't there. Um, I always told the guy, listen, I know this isn't your fault. You didn't build the thing. Um, and we, In that narrow kind of conversation visited and got along fine and that went on for six months they finally figured some things out fixed it easter sunday came and i was out in the foyer you know kind of greeting people that were coming in in walks that service writer his wife two kids and I mean this this had been a long torturous nightmare kind of a deal over that dumb car I can't tell you the gratitude I had for a clear conscience that I hadn't gone nuts on him or been just a jerk at the dealership because here I'm the preacher He didn't know I was a minister. And I couldn't have undone if I'd have been just a jerk. The longer story is he and his family stayed. They came back the next Sunday and the next and the next. And it was some months. And he got soundly converted. And his family did. And I could have blown it. He didn't know it at the time. He found out later who I lived for, who I worked for, who I represented. That's the case with every one of us. Don't have to be a preacher. We must discipline ourselves and the body of Christ so that we don't misrepresent Jesus. That's catastrophic if we do that. So there is a judgment that disciplines. Finally, there's a judgment that I'm going to say, use this word, there's a judgment that defends. The truth protects us. It defends us when we choose it and when we reject error and when we are able to Whatever the cost is, stick to the truth. Let me read some scriptures here. Just a couple. Psalm 40. You, O Lord, will not withhold your mercy from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. God's truth preserves us. It saves us. It protects us from error, from falsehood. It preserves me. So choosing truth protects me. Psalm 91 He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield. God's truth shields me from the devastating and deadly effects of error. One of my seminary professors always used to tell us, don't forget, he grew up on a farm in Kansas before he got converted and went to college and became, got a doctorate, and became a seminary professor, he he would always tell us in theology class, don't forget, don't forget, rat poison is 95% edible corn. It's the 5% that will kill you. Don't forget that. The devil isn't stupid. The devil is a counterfeiter. He loves to try to get us to swallow falsehood. And he wraps it, just like all, every one of us that have got a pet, got a dog, and you've got to give them some medicine. You don't, you, if you try to give them the pill, it's hopeless. They aren't going to take it. And so what do you do? Find something that they hate? No. You find something you know that dog loves, and you wrap that pill up in that, and you give it to them. And especially if they're the gulping kind of dog, um, it's gone, <laughs> and, and you made it. That's the devil. He he never ever shows up with a red suit, horns, a pitchfork, and a barbed tail. He never does that. And the people, the movements, the in, the involvements that you get in that he lures us with, are all beautiful. He never sends to a young, faithful Christian young man or young woman serving God. He never sends an unbeliever for them to become enamored with and fall in love with who's ugly as a mud fence. He doesn't do that because he's smart the devil knows how to disguise falsehood in beauty to try to get us to swallow it without the truth and this is a description of this is a description of today though it was said almost 3,000 years ago some of this Isaiah, we'll read a few verses out of Isaiah 59. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. The way of peace they've not known. There's no justice in their ways. They've made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know Peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there's darkness, for brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. We moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you. Our sins testify against us. Our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off, for truth has fallen in the street. That's our culture. Truth has fallen in the streets. It's no longer honored. It's Disregarded completely. We're almost to the place where, yes, we still have people who rage vicious war against truth, but in many cases, it's almost gone beyond that to where we're just indifferent to it. We're indifferent to falsehood. We don't even care. Truth isn't enough for us to bother with to even fight against. We just ignore it. We just go on. Here's here's a sad scripture. Hosea, hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Therefore the land will mourn and everyone who dwells there will waste away. That's what we have where there is no truth. And notice here, I think every one of us today are shocked, dismayed, grieved, frustrated, bewildered by the rise in savagery just beastly kind of brutality we're stunned by it but god's word right here says there is no truth and what follows after that nor is there any mercy you get rid of truth you get rid of mercy and kindness and forgiveness You can't get rid of God's truth and retain any kind of social bond, decency, common kindness. It's gone. It doesn't... I I noticed the other day, uh, not too long ago, last month, was the, I can't remember what anniversary, of the shooting of John Lennon. And whenever that comes around, it's i can't remember how many years that's been now but at any rate 40 some they'll always play imagine if everybody knows what that song is imagine no there's no religion no heaven above no hell below nothing to kill or die for and then goes on in the utter nonsense of Basically, we should live together in love. We should live together in kindness. And we'll all be as one. Now that we've gotten rid of God. But that doesn't happen. You get rid of God. You get rid of all decency. All goodness. All kindness. All helpfulness. All mercy. Because God alone is the source of all of that you get rid of truth you get rid of everything so to discern truth and to have the benefits of truth the last scripture I'll give you Jesus very familiar to us all you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free the truth sets me free from the bondage of sin and the chains of the devil and the infection of the wickedness of this world. You'll know the truth. It'll set you free. We therefore have to in a proper context of judging we have to judge the truth and stick with it no matter what final thought that i would just give to us we have to remember this too jesus said that if we do not love him more than everything else family friends possessions he said your own life you can't be my disciple it means that if i love jesus with all my heart i love his truth and he said i am the truth I'm truth. I have to love Jesus. And this is another whole sermon maybe. I cannot change the truth for my loved ones, for myself, for my friends. There are all kinds of people that I've pastored throughout the years who have always said, well, I'm sticking with the truth, I'm sticking with the truth, I'm sticking with the truth, until one of the kids gets arrested or whatever else and well, he, well no, wait a minute he, he's, he's a good boy he, got, he raised his hand and asked Jesus in his heart when he was 7 years old at, at Bible school and he's, he's okay I cannot, my dear father always told, says, I'll never he said, I will never sell good straight true theology for you kids Loved us with all of his heart, prayed for us, gave us the last dollar in his wallet. But we knew this He's never going to condone what we do if it goes against what God said. What an unspeakable privilege to be taught that. And that's what God wants us to have. Let's bow our heads. Dan, if you'll just dismiss us with prayer, please.
1: Father in heaven, we are grateful for the truth that we find in your word. And that truth that we find in your word is our Savior. I was reminded of the scripture that Pastor Dan shared this morning, that Jesus says, I am the truth. And we need to realize, Lord, in the world that we live in for centuries, the world's been trying to do away with truth, to do away with our Savior, to do away with God. Help us to stand strong, to stand firm on that rock that is our Savior, Jesus Christ, to follow truth because we follow him. We need to remember, Lord, that truth is not just a thing, it's a person. And if we keep our eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith, then we will be following the truth. I'm reminded, Lord, that when we get off track and we fall into a pattern of lifestyle or sin that does not please you, we don't like to be near the light because the light reveals our deeds. I pray, Lord, that we are a congregation that stays so close to the light and allows you to reveal our deeds and correct our course and help us by your grace and by your mercy that we would continue to follow truth, to follow Jesus in the midst of just a very tumultuous time in our country and in the world. So, Father, help us to have eyes that are fixed on you, the truth, and to walk ye in it by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. You're dismissed. Have a great day, everyone.